everybody and welcome back to B2B Nav. This week you've just got the two of us, uh, me and Ollie, and we're going to be discussing social media uh, yeah. and whether there is a need or not to be present on every single channel or platform, I guess. So I could have phrased that as delivering an omni-channel experience for your customers, but buzzwords aside, um, we see it a lot with our clients. Mm-hmm. We were saying just before things kicked in now of like which platforms they should be on or maybe frantically chasing to be on every platform. So they want to be on LinkedIn, they want to be on Facebook, they want to be on Twitter, Instagram's even emerging now, YouTube's, you know, Instagram, they're all out no, there. You've missed TikTok. TikTok, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't profess to understand TikTok yet, so I'm sorry, I'm getting too old for that one. Uh, I also missed out Snapchat because I don't get that one either. Um, <laughs> but what I mean is... Um, should we, should we start there in terms of that omni-channel experience that everybody's talking about, that buzzword at the minute of mm-hmm. delivering value to your customers at each touch point where yeah. you can be found? Does that mean every channel? No. Uh, I think it means using some channels that make sense for you correctly so mm-hmm. that they are in tune with everything else that you're doing. So like you say, if people are finding you across multiple different touch points, be that your website, offline or social media, that they're getting a consistent experience, it doesn't mean you have to be everywhere. Yep. I think one of the things that we see, and I'm sure we can delve more into this, is that the more you try and do, the worse that you do. Yes. Unless you've actually got the, the genuine resources to be able to do it correctly, yep. you're probably making a mistake trying to be everywhere at once. Spreading yourself too thin, in effect. So I guess from a client's perspective, a lot of the things they do, obviously, when when we're working on briefs, doing some research into a, a new business opportunity or for our existing clients, we will look at the social media footprint of them mm-hmm. and quite often their competition. Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody they aspire or want to be like as well. But is that even a good starting point these days? Because I think for a lot of them, they go, oh, okay, our competitors on LinkedIn and they've got a thousand followers and on Twitter and they've got 500. We need to chase that. Yeah. Well, it feels like the wrong starting point for me a lot of the time. I think it's good to know that, but that doesn't mean you need to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So just because somebody else has, has managed to get a following or has started a channel somewhere else doesn't mean you should necessarily be there. I think kind of as with everything, and I think we echo this point all the time, it's start trying to understand what you're trying to achieve before you start doing anything. Yep. Um, and if you are already all over social, I think is, is uh, often the case that, you know, over time somebody's created all these channels at various points, kind of take a pause and consider, do you really need them or not? Again, weigh in what your objectives are, what you're trying to achieve, what the purpose of each channel is, who do you believe you're reaching on each channel? And do, you think many, do you think many clients do that? As, as, a, as, a, as an exercise or do you think they are just chasing I think lo- a lot logo, of the time, social media logos really? yeah I'd say a lot of the time that's the case I'm, I think you'll find uh, or we find that we do have clients that have at least thought about which channels they should be on so uh, being a B2B agency Facebook doesn't come up as often mm-hmm. um, whereas I think nearly every company that we work with has a LinkedIn profile and most will have a Twitter profile so somebody at some point have thought which channels should we be on but it doesn't mean that they've necessarily gone that uh, extra step and uh, really thought about who their audience is, what should they be communicating, should they be you know, communicating this kind of content, that kind of content, and so on. And so, do you think it's important if a prospective, I guess, uh, client, customer, or employee even, uh, goes on Facebook and your company has no profile on Facebook, do you think, do you think that does detract from the, the value of the brand? Or do you think that's... 
okay as long as it's been considered and maybe articulated somewhere? I think it's absolutely fine as long as it's been con considered and there's a reason for it. Like you mentioned Facebook as an example there. If you're not all over Facebook, but you've got a great LinkedIn profile that's LinkedIn, you know, well, bad choice of word there. <laughs> but you've got a great LinkedIn profile that ties together with everything else that you're doing then that's your voice, that's your social voice. If, if you don't have a place on Facebook, nobody's going to look and see you don't have that Facebook channel, yep. therefore you're not a great brand. Yep. But I think it's come, to, it's come to light for me recently, even, even here with our own marketing, you know, we truly believe we should be leading from the front. Um, and sometimes that's not the case because you're evolving as quickly as your clients mm -hmm. are. And I think looking at our own social media profile here at BDB, um, we launched Instagram and, and YouTube most recently and we put more effort with Instagram. Um, but I feel like in the last couple of years I've really looked at what the purpose behind our own social media is. Mm -hmm. So Instagram very much for us is about behind the scenes of BDB, kind of um, lifting the curtain on what goes on behind the scenes. So whether that's team events, um, celebrations, bringing our office to life for clients because quite a lot of our clients are international and maybe not haven't even been to the office mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, bringing team members to life and also the processes of how we work and how we work together and interact um, so people can sort of visualise us I guess even if they're doing work yeah. with us so that's got a clear purpose for me and that maybe is a slightly different tone of voice slightly different um, more playful character potentially than what we do on LinkedIn mm -hmm. being more being more corporate led well I think that's the thing is understanding what each channel can be used for and should be used for and who's likely to find you there and do you think in B2B that's generic across <laughs> most businesses or do you think it is LinkedIn the world one where you put your corporate pieces and your 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 more relevant uh, thought leadership content and is Instagram more play fun behind the scenes is, is that is it, is it that simple that, that can apply in a lot of situations it depends on your type of B2B company you are because mm -hmm. you've obviously got some B2B companies that are, are actually much closer to B2C in terms of their offering. So okay. their audience, for example, isn't uh, large enterprise corporations that they'd love to sell into, but their audience might be uh, plumbers and things like that. They're yep. still a, a business, but at that scale, what they're doing is actually much closer to B2C yep. than, than the kind of B2B marketing that we are typically kind of working in, I'd say. Yep. So at that point, platforms like Facebook go right back up there as being a prime place to be able to reach what is effectively a mass audience again. Yep. Um, whereas when you're trying to reach, in our case, um, is, as is often the case, kind of the key B2B decision makers, then the, the options just aren't there really to, to find them on Facebook. And it's not often the platform where people are looking to engage with you as much. Okay. Because I think we talked about purpose and kind of objectives earlier in the sense of, think, you know, starting point being why are you on this platform? What's the purpose of it? And a lot of people, you, you, you speak about reach a lot of the time. I think you, you hear that word a lot being referenced. But in... In our, in our world, in my personal world here at BDB, again, re reach is important, but I view more our social media profile as a further kind of shop window, like the website almost in mm -hmm. a way, right or wrong, in my personal opinion, of if people do want to look for us on LinkedIn, do we look credible, do we look authentic, do we look like we know our stuff in the B2B arena with the types of content and posts and interactions that we've got? And when somebody goes on Instagram, do we look like someone that they'd like to work, like to work with and be part of that team? Um, that isn't about reach necessarily of followers mm -hmm. or because I think we hear it an awful lot with clients that they're very proud that their LinkedIn audience has gone up by a thousand followers they know nothing about the demographic of who's followed them yeah. they don't know anything no breakdown of the numbers and, and you know you can fall foul of that in your own business here of oh, our LinkedIn audience has gone up by X mm -hmm. okay has that resulted in anything has there been any impact on that Does it, has it meant we've had a bit new business inquiry that's different but the likelihood is it's probably yeah, not yeah. so it, it, is it, fo it should followers be an objective or 
There are, I mean, I suppose there are, are advantages at times to having followers, assuming they're the right followers. But I think uh, you and I probably share the same belief here, which is that it would be better to be putting out the right content mm -hmm. and have a purpose behind that content than it would be to have loads and loads of likes and follows to it. Because especially in that B2B space, the one right person finding that content mm -hmm. can mean that you do win business or you do help to push somebody over to getting in touch with you that might not have done otherwise. And you can't really track that because yeah. that might just be one of the many touch points on their journey. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's about giving that the correct public image um, and kind of making sure that you're living and breathing your ethos, your methodology, your, yeah. your work and, and sharing that. Um, so that if somebody does see that, then it's like you say, another shop window in there and it's just helping position them in your mind. So I see it very yep. much as brand positioning. So sure, having lots of followers that are made up of the right audience is great because they can help amplify that message. Yeah. Um, and you can build, I guess, engagement around that and community around that. But I don't know if it should be the right, the, uh, the main a, thing you're aiming that's for. That's a good point though, because it depends on how much engagement you're getting, doesn't it? Because I think that's the one thing that seems to get lost at the minute in the sense of when we're working with clients and again, looking at our, our, own, our own house here is, is there genuine engagement? Different different than the likes. We will put something up and yeah. four or five team members will like it and it looks like over five likes, that's cool. But like that's not our purpose. Yeah. We're not chasing likes and we're not chasing followers. But in the sense of I think for other clients and prospects potentially they are sometimes and you know, genuine engagement and creating that community and that conversation where you, you are reactively responding to people, you're interacting with people. You don't see a great deal of it in B2B well, even, yet. Yeah, even think. some of the really large companies that we've worked with and interacted with who have a large following don't necessarily get good engagement. So having 50,000 LinkedIn followers for your company account is not the same as getting engagement and following. Because yeah. that comes, yeah, I mean, if you, particularly if you're a recognized name like some of our clients are, yeah. you will automatically get people that follow you because you're a big name in that industry, you're a big name globally, and you just naturally attract some followers for mm -hmm. that. If you want engagement, you need to be putting out engaging content. And I think the same as we see with the likes of blogs and things like that, it's very easy to put out content. It's not as easy to put out good content that yeah. people actually care about. Yeah. And I think that, again, that ties back for me to, to what I would consider is the omni-channel experience. So when you talk about customer centricity and wanting to put your customer first and deliver that exceptional experience where they can find you, I think sometimes the scattergun approach to social media flies completely in the face of that yeah. because you do um, a half-hearted job. I was trying to think of the right way to phrase that. A half-hearted job across all platforms, inconsistent, inconsistent level of posts, inconsistent level of content hitting them, scattergun too thin across various platforms. Yeah. Um, and the thing to bear in mind, I think, for a client, a prospect, or anybody listening, is it takes time, this. It's a real mm. investment to build your social media presence and profile unless you're very clear on your objectives of what you're trying to achieve with it because it, it's so easy to fall foul of a couple of ad hoc posts every now and again going out and I yeah. think that looks I, for me personally that looks twice as bad as not being <laughs> on the platform when yeah. you see they've not posted since 2008 yeah or, but I would you know. say that, that it's definitely if, you, if you're not going to keep a, a channel active don't start it or if you've already started it shut it down because like you say I'd rather go and, and search on Twitter and find out company X doesn't have a profile than find out that yeah they've not posted in eight years because that looks like they're a, you know a dead company or it's just like you've lost interest in it doesn't it that's yeah. what I mean and that's not certainly not the impression you're trying to create for a new prospect that yeah. you've, you start something and you can't finish it it probably doesn't set the right tone and I guess the other aspect here is uh, making sure that you're posting the right sort of content if you're going to start doing it because it's very yeah. easy to I guess have that uh, ad hoc approach of just kind of making it up as you go along and trying to fill 
posts almost like you, you know, you just know that you need to get a post out, so you're posting whatever you can, and you end up with content that's like just sharing other posts without adding your own commentary to it. So here's uh, a new report that's in the industry and just literally like retweeting it on Twitter, for example. Yeah. Or uh, sharing your company news, which is, depending on your company news, not necessarily of interest to anybody else. Sometimes it's quite internal news. So I was yeah. looking at a profile the other day, and one of the announcements on, on this profile was um, that they're making great strides with their sales pipeline which assuming their audience is their customers, people probably don't care that much about. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're trying to attract investors, that might be great, but yeah. otherwise it's, it's probably off-putting because it's not, it's not in any way of interest to, to customers seeing that. And how important these days is, is breaking the social media algorithms? So you'll do all sorts, if, you, you know, if anybody watches a Gary Vee or, a, or a, you know, Steve Bartlett in the UK where they're posting copious amounts of content with teams, six teams of six or ten members deep behind them producing content, five, ten posts a day, and you, you, know, you go through your feed if you follow them, I don't know if you do, but in the sense of it's littered with posts of relevance and completely irrelevant, I would say at times, <laughs> you know, relationship advice through to building a business, through to collecting football cards, you name it with Gary Vee, it's on there. But he, he is a big advocate of just more content, more content, feed the content yeah. machine. And I know a while back, LinkedIn kind of favoured that in terms of more posts. But now, from what I'm being told, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. It's more one post a week a day. Look at the people around me. <laughs> one post a day. Um, <laughs> people were in the same meeting that I was in the other week. Um, so is, is that a thing? Is, should it even be a consideration, trying to work the algorithms? Or do you think it's more about the purpose and delivery. You I think mean. what we'll see, as we saw with SEO in the past, is at the times there's always ways to game the system, but I don't know if it necessarily pays off in the long run. Right, so okay. I'd always, I personally always believe is just focus on what's right for your users. So if they are engaging with your content and want that regular content from you, then by all means do it because that's helping you in the long run. On the other hand, if you're doing it for the sake of having content and it's not really relevant to you or your purpose or what people are interested in, then you just... I guess adding to the noise, which is going to result in low engagement and low, um, and then kind of low interaction going forward. I guess the important thing there again is, is there's nothing also wrong with having a change in direction and trying things on social media. Yeah. I think some people get locked into we will post this type of post once per week for the rest of the year, and then if it has no engagement or nothing's happening with it, and you know we we test things like this here at VDB and we'll look at it and go that's no engagement at all, don't do any more of them, it's serving no purpose whatsoever. Um, well, it's a digital platform, and as is the case with most digital platforms, you've got the ability to quickly try and change things and adapt, and continuing to do something that doesn't work is just kind of idiocy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's adapted and evolving it, yeah. but not. But and if you're going to quit, quit with purpose again. So quit for the right reasons because. Yeah, you, you decide that. Well, you should not never. Right you, you should never quit just because everything seems hard or it doesn't seem to be initially working. It's working out. Is there a way to do something better? So mm-hmm. I, I'm quite a big advocate in general of if, if something can't work, is that because it doesn't work, or can we find a way to make it work? So yeah. at least at first, with anything you're trying, try to make it work, even if you don't think it will. If even if you've got a bit of a negative mindset, put the effort in to try and make it work first. And if you genuinely doesn't don't believe it will work, and you've tested it, maybe then it's time to pack it in and pivot, do something else. Yeah. But put that genuine effort in to try it because, yeah, different things resonate. Because, again, that's one of the conclusions we've reached recently in the sense of um, BDB's Twitter account. So it's been going for years. I mean, I think 15, 15 years. That's, I'm making numbers up here. I'm sure people can check it if they want to. Um, and that was probably primarily set up because one of the guys that used to work here loved Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that was his kind of thing. That was his platform. Um, but for me, Twitter is very much about engagement, conversation, 
joining conversations, participating in conversations. And we, we personally never used it for that kind of basis, yeah. unless maybe we were attending an event or an exhibition yeah. of some kind. And even then, it certainly isn't practicing what we preach in terms of leading the way and delivering a 360 experience. Yeah. It's very much we're at an event, here we are. So we, we decided to, to end our Twitter yeah. account. Um, well, the best Twitter accounts that I've seen and that I've personally followed are people that are, are doing that kind of thing. It's a, it's a group of experts. They're posting, they're commenting back to each other, they're sharing advice, you're getting input. And you can, you can build relationships that way. You can, you can add further value in the future, whether that's because they share your content or because you just can ask somebody for advice and things like that. But yeah, if you're just doing that one-way communication of sharing updates from time to time, you're probably not going to get much engagement because there's hundreds of other channels doing that exact same thing. Exactly. It's the conversations that are more, yeah. more engaging. I think you hit a great point on the head there with the fact that somebody worked here that did enjoy doing that. And that's a big thing about social. It's the people that are doing best on social are probably people that really like doing social. Yeah. So I don't particularly like doing social. I don't mind posting the odd thing now and yeah. again, but I'm not somebody that likes to go and share with the world everything I'm doing. But you see um, there are people out there that do that or they have people doing that on their behalf. And they're some of the great profiles where you've got you know, the likes of CEOs and things like that, yeah. you know, sharing everything that's going on in their company, sharing the pitfalls, sharing the um, yeah, trials and tribulations that they go through. And they're great accounts to follow, but it, it needs somebody that's, I guess, passionate about doing that yeah. uh, to actually keep those running. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to be one of the ones where you start well, it, best intentions, you do it for me, a couple of weeks. It just and comes you... back to purpose again, though, in the sense of, if it has a clear purpose, then, then, I, then you'll dedicate the time to it. Mm. Whereas... For me, where I fail to do that, particularly my own social media profile, because I don't really place that much relevance on it. I probably do a little bit more on Instagram, which probably yeah. which probably goes against every piece of advice somebody would tell you, because I post business stuff and personal stuff. But for me, it's more about showing who I am as an individual. Mm. I guess my my personal brand, if you could even call it that, but in the sense of who, who I am inside and outside of work. Um, Okay, so I guess in terms of if you're, I'm just thinking in terms of because social media also um, obviously had a lot of attention recently in terms of the negative press around it. Um, but from a customer centricity point of view, it also gives you the ability to quickly interact with mm -hmm. customers yeah. or, or in relation to customer service complaints, you name it. And we don't see it quite as much in B2B again, do we, compared to B2C? Mm -hmm. um, but the fact on Twitter, you can at yeah. Uber, at whoever you're uh, interacting with, and probably if they've got their customer services set up correctly, we'll get back to you quite quickly. Yeah. Well, I've had mixed experiences there. Well, no, I know. <laughs> I've thinking that, as I say, but very mixed experiences. But when you start calling people out and ranting it on Twitter and you see those kind of posts. It didn't it? get me my Papa John's pizza any faster. <laughs> It's because you ordered a Papa John's. Um, but in the sense of, do you think that's an issue if you're not on the likes of Twitter then, that there's not that forum where people can quickly get hooked? Because LinkedIn isn't really like that. Instagram, yeah. I don't think, is really like that. For a B2B brand, I wouldn't say so. I don't think that's going to be your your method of customer service or customer support nine mm -hmm. times out of ten. Yeah. Um, for a B2C brand, I, I do think you should be there um, because there is that expectation that you can do that. Yeah. Um, so in those situations where I've tried to use it and, and been let down, it's not always been let down. Sometimes it works fine. Yeah. Uh, it's just really dis disappointing and leaves you feeling kind of more annoyed at the company for, for the lack of response. But I think, again, from my experience with B2B, I don't, I've not seen that need for that to exist. We've usually got things like dedicated account managers and numbers that you can call. Yeah. I think it's a bit different in B2C because you usually... The corporation is normally a bit more faceless to you. You might know the brand and you might have an affinity with the brand, but you don't normally have a contact you can talk to at that company. Yeah. So a couple of last points to touch on before we wrap up today. One of them was in relation to social media guidelines. And I, 
I mean, I don't mean like contractual ones here that you put in the back of an employment contract that mm -hmm. say you shouldn't post on behalf of the company and that kind of thing. But we're seeing it becoming more and more prevalent as the social channels are becoming more prevalent and more active across our clients. With where do you stand on the brand guide, the brand guide, like a social media brand mm -hmm. guidelines point? Because a lot of clients are requesting them these days and want them writing to get more consistency, but. Is it overkill or is it, is it killing freedom? <laughs> I think there's two points I'll, I'll pick up on here. First of all is the uh, point you clarified that you weren't talking about at the moment, which is the uh, terms in the back of your contract which say don't, pick up, don't post on social. I think that's 100% the wrong way to go mm -hmm. because your employees can be and should be somebody that can help advocate on your behalf. Yep. And if you're not enabling them to do that or there's something wrong that causes them to want to either not do that or even worse, go the negative route and start yeah. signing off the company on, online, then that's probably something you should be addressing. Um, but I think in general, they can be something you mobilize. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the guidelines themselves, um, yeah, like you say, we are seeing more clients interested in that. And I think there's good reason for it, which is that consistency can be hard. Yeah. I think one thing I'd say is they shouldn't be too prescriptive because I think part of social media is about having that personality come across. Um, but I think particularly when you're talking about multi-regions, multi-teams, um, yeah, lots of different networks that are potentially not managed by the same people. All of, having some kind of rule book in play can really help. Uh, one, the consistency, tone of voice, uh, consistency of imagery, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, can help speed things up because it means uh, you know what to do, what the process is. If, if somebody does message you with a complaint or a customer service request or mm -hmm. a sales inquiry, you already have a process in mind. You probably have some template messages to go back with in terms of we'll handle this or can you please contact these people or... Managing expectations, yeah. we'll back to you within a certain time frame. Or whatever, Instead, yeah. of, if you don't have that in place and somebody sends you a complaint, I think the first thing you'll probably do is start to panic and start yeah. running around asking different team members if you've got anything you should be doing and, yeah. and so on. Um, so have it linked to that then, because that was the main follow-up question was very much linked to that in the sense of, again, I think we touched on it in one of the previous podcasts, but obviously the social media footprint of a company these days, you have a corporate account, you may have some yeah. key stakeholders, maybe a CEO, I don't know, you know, a marketing yeah. officer, whatever it may be, um, alongside then, hypothetically speaking, 40 territorial locations globally. Yeah. And I, I know the answer, but in the sense of... is. <laughs> Is there any recommendations or blueprint here in terms of whether um, a certain division in coatings and construction should have their own social media handle versus the corporate? And then under coatings and construction, let's just say you've got three different divisions. You've got Adesis, you've got Inks, you've got uh, Concrete as an example, whatever it may be. Do they have their own social yeah. media handle? And you can keep going on yeah. this and end up with 50, 60 different social media profiles yeah. that arguably all post the same thing or all post product for I think, <laughs> I think this is where you really need to have a good think about who you're trying to reach, what you want to share, what you ha actually have the resources to share versus what you'd like to share, yep. and making sure that you don't kind of run headfirst into setting up all these different accounts that you have no way to support. So for example, uh, we could potentially set up an account for all of our different um, individual internal departments, yep. so a digital account and a PR account, and we'll share related news so a customer could follow that digital account if they wanted digital news from me and the team, for example. Sure. But do we have the, the manpower to make sure that we're posting six, seven streams of content on a regular basis? Probably not. Yep. Um, and Again, probably detracting in, from that customer-centric experience, isn't yeah. it? No, so you'll end up with some of those accounts lagging back. You'll end up with some content going on multiple channels. So rather than kind of 
bite off more than we can chew. It's better for us to work on that from a main account, especially because in our case, that all of those fall under the subject of marketing. So mm -hmm. any of our followers uh, will still benefit from seeing content about digital, seeing content about PR. Mm -hmm. I think one of the points you made there is that you could have drastically different divisions. Yep. So uh, one of our uh, new clients that we're working with at the moment, um, I think they were posting kind of pharma content at the same time as posting crude content to mm. the same channel. So those are quite different audiences there. So if you're following that account and the pharma team is much more active and they're posting lots of pharma content, you're just going to be annoyed if you're somebody that works in the food so industry. Food, you're going to either unsubscribe or unfollow it sure. because you don't want to see that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's down to understanding what you're going to be posting, how often you're going to be posting it, and what you actually have the resources to keep up. Yep. I'd say some level of diversification and having separate channels is great, but don't go so far that you can't manage it. Great. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, that was a good episode. So uh, hopefully everybody listening and watching feels the same. Hopefully they find it useful um, for their ongoing... I guess, social media uh, journey, which I think is a consideration for most businesses these days. Um, thanks very much for listening. And a little plug for our B2B knowledge. So check out b2bknowledge.com, our on online ungated content hub, helping prospects, contacts, and clients navigate the ever-evolving B2B marketing landscape. I can almost say that now without yeah. thinking about it. That's the one. Um, thanks very much, and speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. Thanks.